Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for July 12th, 2017. I'm Peter Serretta. In today's show, in the water cooler, we'll be talking about Tour de Pharmacy and annual passes at Universal Studios Hollywood. In the news, we'll be talking about Wonder Woman 2, where it might be set, when it might be set, and who might be in it. John Favreau's Lion King remake cast John Oliver in the perfect role. Disney's live-action Aladdin movie is struggling to find its lead actor, and... The star of the movie It has been cast in Hulu's Stephen King multiverse series, Castle Rock. Who will he play? In the mailbag, we'll try to attempt to answer the age-old question, what is your favorite movie sequel that is better than the original? And in the spoiler room, Ben Pearson will be joining us to talk about the War of the Planet of the Apes sequel and what it could be about. All that and more right here, right now, we have... Bradford Omen, who you know as Ethan Anderton on SlashFilm.com to talk us through the news. Brad, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm here. Let's do it. What What have you been watching lately, Brad? So this past weekend, um, not only did Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping premiere on HBO, but it came along with sort of a Lonely Island double feature because uh, Andy Samberg worked with Jake Zemanski, who's uh, 
a director who has uh, did Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. He's done stuff on Funny or Die. And they created this faux HBO sports documentary, uh, a mockumentary about this little known uh, time during the Tour de France in the 80s when a bunch of cyclists were busted for doping, leaving only five cyclists to compete that year. And so it features an insane cavalcade of stars in it as talking heads and as cyclists. Uh, Andy Samberg's in it, obviously, but there's John Cena, Dolph Lundgren, Jeff Goldblum, Freddie Highmore, J.J. Abrams. Uh, it's it's insane. Like the the roster uh, on this of this mockumentary is unbelievable, and it's hilarious. And it's only forty five minutes, so it's a, it's a documentary short essentially, and it's so funny. So if you have HBO, go out of your way and watch it. It's available right now of that has been tapped recently for an HBO comedy called Eggplant Emoji, which I know nothing about. I imagine, I, well, since the Eggplant Emoji is meant to represent penises, I imagine it has something to do with sex. Okay, what have I been up to recently, Brad? I've been uh, visiting Universal Studios Hollywood. I've lived in Southern California for, I think, like seven years now, but... I have have never had an annual pass to Universal Studios Hollywood. I've always had an annual pass to Disneyland, which is an hour drive, and Universal is, you know, just over the hill. So why get an annual pass to the thing that's closer to me? I don't know. Um, maybe it's because there's less rides. Or, I don't know. But every year I've gone to Halloween Horror Nights there, and I feel like I've gotten my fix there. But recently I've gotten a Costco membership. They sell the gold annual pass that's normally $300 for $200. So that gets me 340 days a year. So why not? Uh, so the last two weeks I've spent, you know, I've gone there twice now. It's fun. And I, I feel like the, you definitely feel like there's a lot less to do there than Disneyland. Have you ever been to Universal Hollywood? Uh, yeah, I, I went several times when I lived out in California for a bit in 2009. Yeah, they, they've definitely added a few things since you have been there. Obviously, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They just recently bought DreamWorks Animation, so they've been tr building this DreamWorks theater attraction, which will house a 4D experience of uh, some of their popular franchises. And right now, there's like these photo ops, photos with like the characters from Madagascar, Shrek, Trolls, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon. Sadly, the How to Train Your Dragon Toothless is just a statue, not like a character in a suit which is kind of disappointing because Universal did such a great job with the Transformers characters. Anyways, I'm talking about theme parks way too long and way too much. Uh, this is just to tell you what I've been up to lately. And being on a diet and going to Universal Studios sucks. Just as much as it sucks going to Disneyland, but there's there's turkey legs everywhere. and um, Oh my god, turkey legs are like the best theme park food ever. Yes, I can eat that on a keto diet. and I, Also in Wizarding World of Harry Potter, they have a chicken dinner which is a good option. Anyways, let's move on into the news. First up, Wonder Woman 2 may be set in the 1980s and bring back Chris Pine. Our own Y-Tran Bowie wrote an article about this on SlashFilm.com. The news originated on Screen Rant, was seemingly confirmed by The Wrap, and that is that Wonder Woman 2 might be set in the 1980s, which is the most unsuspected era for that sequel i mean i assumed that it was gonna be like world war ii yeah i mean it's definitely surprising especially because uh you know there's already been comparisons between wonder woman and captain america the first avenger and since winter soldier does have a bit of a cold war narrative you know part in there even though it's not set during the cold war 
it feels like it's still echoing you know the same narrative uh timeline or, or structure i guess you could say so i i'm not sure if they should should do something that makes it stand out a little bit more or if it will stand out more on its own but it's, it's definitely surprising that they're jumping uh that far ahead into you know that, that time period the most interesting part of the report however is the confirmation that chris pine will return in wonder woman 2 and chris pine played steve trevor diana's love interest in the the first film and that was set during world war one I. I mean i think we have to talk a little spoilers to have a conversation about this so please skip ahead a minute or so if you haven't seen Wonder Woman. But at the end of Wonder Woman, that character seemingly dies in, in an airplane. Yeah, I mean, he, he basically meets roughly the a similar fate that actually Steve Rogers does in Captain America, the first Avenger, because he sacrifices himself to uh, fly a plane out of there so that it doesn't blow up and kill a bunch more people. And, I mean, it would be... <laughs> It is weird. They didn't show him actually dying. Like, they showed it from afar, the plane blowing up. So sure. they could come up with a reason. It is a comic book movie. I, I went up to Jeff Johns after I saw the movie, and I asked him about that, and he was like, nope, he's dead. So Well, I, well and here's the thing, too, is, like, I feel like you, you can't bring Steve Trevor back because it kind of underscores that emotional moment that uh, Diana has at the end of the movie. I feel like it would it would cheapen it, and it would make it feel less powerful. But on top of that, even if Steve Trevor did somehow survive, we're talking about, you know, flashing forward. What It's, it's like, what, 70 years, I think? Something like that? Something like that. So Chris Pine would not look like Chris Pine, 70 years older. Yeah, he would basically be, it would basically be like how we have the older Peggy Carter in Captain America Civil War uh, after, she, you know, Steve Rogers met her during World War um, two times. So... Yeah. There, now, there is the possibility that has been floated, and this was actually a rumor that uh, with the original Wonder Woman that Chris Pine was not only playing Steve Trevor, but a descendant of Steve Trevor who just so happens to look a lot like who would be his, you know, great great grandfather or something like that. So, what a coincidence. I, yeah, so I guess that there's a chance that he could be playing uh, a, like a descendant of Steve Trevor who just looks like, you know, Steve Trevor, but just, you know, Chris Pine again. <laughs> Well, we, we will have to wait and see. I think that this is a confirmation quite yet. Also in the news, John Favreau's The Lion King remake has cast John Oliver in a per, in the perfect role. You wrote this story for SlashFilm.com. So he's playing Zazu, who is the bird who serves as Major Domo to Mufasa, Simba's uh, father. And he's basically the, uh, the bird who follows Simba around and makes sure he doesn't get into trouble. Uh, he was voiced by Rowan Atkinson in the original animated Lion King from 94, uh, who you might know better as Mr. Bean. Uh, he does have a voice, and it's a good one. But John Oliver is the the best replacement you could imagine because he has he has this you know great British voice who is good for like really getting after Simba, and he he can be annoying while also still be being charming. So. Uh, if you've heard, listened or seen last week tonight, you know exactly what his persona is and how this can be applied to Zazu as a character in the best way possible. I can definitely see him being good in that role. Uh, let's And we should expect, with all this casting going around the Lion King, we probably should expect a D23 for them to lo- reveal the entire cast lineup on stage. And that's happening this Saturday. Or no, this... 
I guess this Saturday because that's a live action film, even though it's mostly animated, right? Yeah, technically. We're just yeah. calling it live action because it'll look like live action. And speaking of Disney's live action adaptations of their animated classics, Aladdin is now in development with Guy Ritchie, and he's been trying to cast the lead role of Aladdin. He wanted to find a unknown Middle Eastern or Indian actor to play Aladdin, um, and they've been struggling. They've actually pushed back production uh, a bit. The, the test process was supposedly a mess, uh, a casting agent told Hollywood Reporter. And actually, it's not, it's not just Aladdin they're having trouble casting. It's both Aladdin and Jasmine. Seems like that now they're considering Dutch, Canadian, and American actor for Aladdin. Uh, we have uh, Ashraf Kutet is the Dutch actor, and then there's a Canadian actor named Mina Masood, and then an American actor named George Kosturos. They're all being considered for Aladdin. And then uh, for Jasmine, Naomi Scott, who is a half-Indian actress, she played Kimberly in the new Power Rangers movie, and an Indian actress named Tara Sutaria is being considered for the Jasmine role. But... The, uh, apparently, neither of those or none of those names are, I guess, strong leads yet. And so, it, it seems like one of the biggest things that they're having trouble is finding people who have chemistry on screen, as opposed to just finding two individually talented people. Which, which is, you know, an important part of Jasmine and Aladdin on the big screen. But you, you would think it wouldn't be so hard when you know you are pouring through a lot of unknown names already. Yeah, and Richie, I guess, is intent on finding a newcomer or someone that you don't know already for these roles. Before he came on, Disney was eyeing Dev Patel and Riz Ahmed for Aladdin. And I think actually Riz Ahmed would have been a good choice, especially considering he has a musician background. You know, he, he's done some rapping and s- some music. Yeah, he's uh, on the, the Hamilton mixtape. But the, the, I guess one of the things is that they don't want focus to be drawn away from Will Smith, who is playing the genie. So they want the genie to be kind of the focal point of this film. Yeah, because um, the movie the movie is called Genie and not Aladdin. Of course, although I wouldn't, I would suspect with Will Smith in that role, maybe they might actually show the genie's backstory, which I don't think we need. But well, the, well, there was back in 2015, there was there was like rumors of Disney developing some kind of prequel about like the genies that would have given us some insight into genie uh, origins anyway. So I hope that they don't do that because the movie isn't about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can go to SlashFilm.com and read HT's story where she offers some actual good suggestions for actors and actresses that could play that role or those roles. Also in the news, Castle Rock. The Stephen King multiverse series that J.J. Abrams is producing for Hulu has cast another actor, and that actor is Bill Skarsgård, who is also playing Pennywise the Clown in the upcoming adaptation of the movie It, or of the book It. Strangely, in this show, his character is being described as a young man with an unusual legal problem, and it doesn't give his name, which is causing some people to speculate that he might be playing a small screen version of his big screen character because that character who goes by Pennywise the Clown also goes under the name Robert Bob Gray. So maybe they aren't revealing the name of the character because they don't want to give that away. 
uh, as, as you know, the, the, this show is takes place in Castle Rock, which is the fictional town in most of the Stephen King books. And it's going to bring together a lot of the characters from those books together into one setting. What do you think about this? I mean, why cast that guy who is starring in it as a different character? Yeah, I mean, it would be very cool if that were the case. But then I think it opens up a whole stream of questions as to like, well, does that mean other Stephen King movies that have been made already might be part of this universe? Or will Stephen King movies made from here on out have some ties to Castle Rock? I, I mean, I think it has the potential to create some confusion among people who aren't necessarily super hardcore Stephen King fans. But it, it would definitely be a cool tie-in to have the movie have some kind of narrative link to the series but I don't know. It's uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see how it goes. I'm I'm very curious to see how this series is even going to work because it seems like throwing a lot of these characters and different stories together just makes for like a hodgepodge of weird, you know, narrative tissue that I don't really see working cohesively as a narrative. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, and and weirdly, most of the casting so far has been for characters that aren't in the books. So it seems like the the story at the core of the 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 show is not going to be you know it's going to be the supporting characters are, that are going to be from his stories I think. Yeah, maybe oh. it'll just maybe it'll just be characters who have like, pat like encounter characters involved in those stories in passing. I think at his very worst, this could be the once upon a time for Stephen King fans, and I, I hope it's not necessarily that. But uh, I'm excited to see it. Hulu hasn't had a lot of shows that I've been super excited for. Um, Sneaky Sneaky Pete is that a show? Yeah. Um, that, that I think that's the one show that I've, I've I've watched all the way through that was on Hulu. In the mailbag today, Colin S asks, with War of the Planet of the Apes coming out next month and 2017 being a somewhat big year for sequels. John Wick 2, Fast 8, Despicable Me 3, Pirates, etc. I was curious to know what is your favorite sequel and or what sequel is better than the original? It's a big question. It's a big question. It, it, it's a huge question. Um, I think the easy answer for me is Empire Strikes Back. And I think that's the easy answer for most uh, geeks out there, right? But I think there are a lot of them. I think... Nowadays, you can't say that every sequel is going to suck. Uh, you, you look at the last few years, even of comic book films, you know, we had The Dark Knight, we had Winter Soldier, we had Avengers 2. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I would say of, of most recent, in Spider-Man 2, if we're on the superhero kick, uh, but I would say of, of recent years, the best sequel in my mind Actually, maybe Civil War, like a Civil War sequel. I guess it's a sequel. It's a the, yeah, it's the second sequel, right? Yeah. I think the he he opens this question with Planet of the Apes. I'm going to end my answer with Planet of the Apes, and the answer is I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, the two films by Matt Reeves, are so much better than Rise. And I like Rise, but these films and I've, I've already said this this trilogy i think for me is the best trilogy since indiana jones so i i would have to say the planet of the apes sequels are my favorite sequels yeah i mean i agree that the ape sequels are, are definitely much better than rise 
But, you know, I think that there's, uh, like, some of my favorites is, I think, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite of the entire series. And it's infinitely better than Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It definitely uh, has the best filmmaking. For sure. And, I, I mean, I think most, I mean, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. I like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but I don't love it anywhere near as much as I enjoy the the sequels in the franchise. I just, it's a little bit too childish and silly for me at times, which is just, you know, Chris Columbus's trademark in a way. And I know you have to start the series somewhere and it allows the kids to grow up, but there's just some parts of that movie that kind of just make me feel, I don't know, weird. Um, I also think Mission Impossible 3 is an amazing sequel. Uh, that's the one that J.J. Abrams directed and Philip and, Seymour Hoffman. And four, I think, too, as well. Uh, yeah, no, Ghost Protocol is fantastic, too. I just I love Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain in Mission Impossible 3 so much. Is that one of the best openings in film history, I think? Oh, it's definitely one of my favorites. I love that opening scene so much cause, just because Hoffman is so great in that scene. Yeah. And, and, and Tom Cruise. He goes yeah, from a range right. of emotions, like six different... He plays his character six different ways within two minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Born Ultimatum is uh, my favorite in the Born franchise, and I think it's the, uh, it's the best one as well. But then on the more on the less blockbuster side of things, because there are some sequels that aren't just blockbusters. I adore Before Midnight, which is the third movie after Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, Richard Linklater's romance trilogy. Uh, I loved Before Midnight so much that I saw it twice when I was at Sundance. Huh. See, I, I, I like that movie a lot, but it's it's a little um you know, I think I like the more hopeful parts of that franchise more than it is, um I it is hopeful though. Like that's what that's what's great about it, is it's 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 still hopeful, but it's but it's real. Like it goes through the like the trials and tribulations of what it's like to be married, but then to still have that love for someone and to see the good in the relationship after all those years. What are your favorite sequels of all time? Please tell us at slash uh, Peter at slash com. You can send your questions for the mailbag segment to Peter at slash com. Please leave your name and general geographic location so we can reference you on the air if we use your question. And Brad, where can we find more of your work online? I'm always at the old slashfilm.com, our old stomping grounds. You can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And I've got my own podcast called Go Flix Yourself. And today in the spoiler room, Ben Pearson joins us to talk about what the War of the Planet of the Apes sequel could be about. Hey, what's up, Peter? Not much. So you wrote this article on slashfilm.com. Matt Reeves made some comments about what a sequel could be about and before we get into that i should say that this is a slight spoiler warning we've both seen the movie war for the planet of the apes but we're not going to spoil the movie we know that most of you have not seen the movie but what we are going to discuss probably features a character you have seen in the marketing of the movie so if you have not seen the trailers you might want to check out right now we're not really going to spoil much uh that is not in the marketing, but if you want to go in completely clean, you know, tune out now. You had your chance. Okay, so here yes. we go. So what did Matt Reeves say about the future of the Planet of the Apes franchise? 
So in an interview with Fandango, Reeves was talking about how uh, when he and the co-writer Mark Bomback came up with the idea for Bad Ape, the character of Bad Ape in War for the Planet of the Apes. That's the character that's played by Steve Zahn. Uh, Reeves says that that is to imply the idea that there would be apes out in the world that Caesar and his group of apes knew nothing of and that they wouldn't have had the benefit of Caesar's leadership and the values that he had instilled in that community uh, further conflicts in this kind of epic journey may take us toward the 1968 movie without necessarily ever getting there and could be about conflicts between apes, not just conflicts between humans and apes. So uh, and then he actually finishes the quote by saying, to me, there are many more exciting stories to be told. And I would love to tell those stories, not just one story, but multiple stories. So it seems like he's actually interested in telling uh, in, in sticking around, you know, with this franchise for the foreseeable future obviously he he has the batman coming up soon but uh it sounds like he could or definitely has the story story ideas to be able to come back and direct uh, a couple different movies in this franchise if he wanted to keep it going yeah when i was on set they they made it clear that they have backstories for all these apes like maurice and you know they have a lot of stuff that they have already planned that they could explore in future movies uh it's interesting that this bad ape character could be a focal point of this franchise going forward. What do you think this means for the future of the franchise? Yeah, I mean, I think he sort of lays it out there. The idea is intriguing, right? That that bad, bad ape is representative of a type of character that could uh, pop up in future movies, right? Uh, we we know that um, Reeves has said that that War for the Planet of the Apes is the conclusion of Caesar's trilogy. So he's not really the focal point of these movies anymore, but there yeah. could be uh, a way that in this and bad ape is representative of that to um, to have Caesar's group meet up with other apes who have, you know, all over the world, really, they could they could take this thing global if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and that could be a, a direction that they could choose to go. They could make things, you know, they could have uh, the exodus extend even further across the country, you know, all sorts of different ways that they could go. But I love the idea of um, not having to recycle through uh, human characters and their sort of limited motivations. Because at this point in the story, they can only do so much, right? Like the humans have been beaten down so much over the course of these three movies and sort of, uh, you know, wiped out by the apocalypse and all this kind of stuff that the uh, the human stories, the potential for that is not really um, there's not really a lot of room for them for them to have different stories at this point. But the ape stories, people, the apes out there who have you know had nothing to do with Caesar's group, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, and I agree with you. I feel like if we in a sequel, I would like them to focus mainly on the ape storyline, or maybe not even have humans at all in the next Planet of the Apes. You know, have it be about a. I know that they've already done this in, a little bit in Dawn, but have this be factions of apes, mm -hmm. you know, and the the, the infighting that yeah. is going on. And obviously introducing other tribes could introduce us to that concept. So, yeah, that is interesting. I can't wait to see where they go. I'm not sure if I would be as excited for the franchise if Matt Reeves isn't behind the camera. Right. Who could take on this franchise that would bring this level of intelligence and, 
you know, it, it, this is one of those rare blockbusters that's at the intersection of, you know, an indie film in a blockbuster. It like, you yeah. know, says something smart about us in this world. And it's just so clever and smart, but it's also fun and exciting. You know, there's the possibility that maybe Andy Serkis could do it. We haven't seen his directorial work really outside of like second unit stuff, as far as I know. But he's got the Jungle Book movie coming up at some point if Warner Brothers ever decides to release that. And then um, and, you know, he obviously has a very uh, powerful relationship with the character of Caesar. And he knows motion capture better than arguably anyone else in the industry. So maybe he could, uh, you know, step behind the camera. And if for some reason Matt Reeves decides to fall off and gets, uh, you know, bogged down in other projects, maybe Circus himself could step in. That is an interesting pick indeed. That's better than anything I can come up in my head. Uh, well, you can read the full article on SlashFilm.com. Ben, where can we find more of your work? You can find me at SlashFilm, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. And that does it for this edition of SlashFilm Daily. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast, go to iTunes, review this podcast, rate it, uh, spread the word, tell your friends. We're expanding this community at a drastic rate, and we appreciate all the feedback that you've given us. You can send your feedback to peter at slashfilm.com. That is also where you send mailbag questions. Please leave your name in general geographic location. So in case we mention your question on the air, we try to respond to as many emails as we possibly can, but we don't get to everything. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.